The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I have Matt Rowe with me today. He is the author of Belief to Heal. He's also a certified health coach, a meditation and Reiki practitioner, and a TEDx speaker. Matt went from being an all-American triathlete to paralyzing his right leg from a back injury, healing from that injury, then had another injury causing 25 to 30 mini strokes, also known as TIAs, per day. He recovered from those mini strokes, and then he was diagnosed with MS. He has had quite a journey, but he's found an untraditional way to recover from his symptoms of MS and is now living his best life. On today's episode, we talk about the strategies that he's implemented to initiate and maintain his healing. Matt, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Gretchen, for having me. Of course. So I've got a lot of questions for you. I'm excited to dive into your journey and how you've been healing through your MS so far. But before we Mm -hmm. do that, would you mind if I asked you a question from my interview deck to help our listeners get to know you a bit better? I would love it. Awesome. Okay. Your question is, what do you feel people complain too much about these days? Mm. I think people become addicted to complaining about the things they cannot control. Like, let's say the government, let's say gas prices, let's say they're looking at all of these external things and that becomes their primary thought. Oh, if this would have just been different or if we had a different president or if we, things that ultimately they have no control over because really we only truly have control over the self. Right. And who we are. So I think we look at and we complain about the external stuff. And I feel at some level, and I was there too, I almost got addicted to it. Mm -hmm. It was easier to say something that made me feel better for just a slight moment. Yeah. It's like that self-sabotage. Like Mm -hmm. we are doing this negative behavior, but we're really gaining something from it. Whether we feel it or not, there's something that we're gaining from complaining or whatever the negative habit is. Yeah, because if that brings up stress, then it's satisfying that need for stress within our lives. As you very well know, we can almost become addicted to stress. Yeah. Oh, our I mean, cells are looking yeah. for that peptide, and that peptide is created by a trigger event like an incidence out in an external environment or something. And we're one of the only three mammals on the planet that can actually manufacture stress without stress being there. Wow. So often when I pick one of these questions, it's such a perfect question for what we're going to be talking about in the podcast. (laughs) 
So it works out well. Before we get into that, there might be some listeners who don't know who you are. So can you explain a little bit about who you are, what your journey has been so far? Sure. That's not a problem at all. So I was first introduced to the severity of stress in 2008. At that time, I was an All-American triathlete and I was vying to be an All-American, get it again, get that designation hit again. And then I paralyzed my right leg from the waist down. And what I did, it was very simple how I did it. I was shoveling snow and threw a load of snow over my shoulder and my spine went like this. And so right at L5, I shot the disc out of L5 and it hit the nerve bundles that went down that side of my body, which then kept that message from going from my brain to my leg to actually allow it to operate. And so went four months trying to rehab it and ignoring any effects or ignoring any feeling that I had in my body. My body is talking to me, but I ignored it. So I went in, had a surgery done, had a microlaminectomy done, very non-invasive surgery done on that part. And they gave me a 50-50 shot. Either they were going to paralyze me from the waist down or they were going to get my leg operating again. Oh my gosh. And I'm like one leg or two might as well have the surgery. Had the surgery, walked out. And then in 2011, I finished Ironman. Wow. And so with all of that kind of stuff, I thought I was back, but I never looked at the mental aspect of my life, how stressed I was, these moments that I was going through where I didn't feel that I was enough. And so I went back into sport. I did CrossFit and I'm like, oh, I just got to go harder. I didn't go hard enough. So then I went into that sport, got an injury and that injury ended up creating 25 to 30 strokes a day called TIAs. So then going through that, opened my eyes to food, food as medicine and said, okay, if this was potentially the cause, then I had to take a look at how do I repair that aspect? And the cause was, is I'd stripped all the gut microbiota out of my body, realizing that the bacteria, the good bacteria in our body outnumbers our cells a hundred to one. So then taking a look at that aspect, being like, okay, we'll repair it with food. So I started my prebiotics, probiotics, all that assets, but essentially got healed the strokes four months later and they've never returned. But between you and me, that was the start of my multiple sclerosis. That's when I started to notice like vertigo and that type of stuff. And then 2017, I was diagnosed with primary progressive multiple sclerosis and was told yeah, what was your first symptom? So, so you healed mm. yourself from these strokes that were happening so frequently. Yeah. What made you think, okay, something is still wrong. I need to figure this out. I would go on a hike and I felt drunk. Mm. I would vert- like, I was looking up on the internet, everything I could about vertigo. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm still showing symptoms from the strokes or maybe something happened here. I noticed my right foot would get a little numb. And then I went on a hike. I went to go hike the Colorado trail. And I remember the very first day I could walk 800 steps and then literally was hunched over and couldn't walk anymore, but knew that if I sat for 10 minutes and allowed my body to calm back down, I could walk another 800 steps. And that was the moment where I said, okay, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. But then I avoided it for three more years. I didn't want to come to this realization. 
Yeah. I was just going to ask, why do you think you avoided it? Was it just too hard to mentally accept that there's another thing that might be going on? That yes, that and fear. Yeah. Like fear that I was, I was going through a big aspect of my life where I never felt that I was enough. I didn't make enough. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't achieve this award. I didn't have this job. Mm -hmm. And so I was always looking at the external world to validate me. And as I did that, I realized that I can't ask something outwardly to validate something within me because that's like hitting a moving target. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know who I was. I didn't know. I didn't take this time to really discover that I was enough. And so that's why I avoided it. I didn't even think about a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, if there's something else wrong, I, I don't know if I want to deal with it. And I just kept sweeping it and burying it. I, I'll be fine. I'll be, no, I'll get through it. I'll make this happen. I wasn't going to go and have my life debilitated again after paralyzing my leg, then the strokes, then all these pieces. I never stopped CrossFit. I never stopped working out. Even though I was having vertigo issues, I still did it. Because I'm like, oh, I got to just keep going. What caused you to officially go and see what's going on? Did something else happen? Did you have another symptom? I had just been fired from my job. I was a director of sales for a software company. Mm -hmm. And so that is a, one of those positions that they rotate very rapidly trying to get, you know, as money shareholder dollars coming in. So I was just fired from my job and my healthcare was running out. Uh -huh. and I was noticing vertigo and I was like, you know what? I might as well go use up my healthcare and get an MRI. So you went to get the MRI mm -hmm. and right away, cause sometimes it's not just the MRI. There's other tests that need to be done, but right. for you, was it, they got the MRI and right away they were able to diagnose you. Yes. They noticed 27 lesions in my brain and spine. Oh my gosh. And at that point, when I was in the neurologist's office, she said, I want to put you on this drug. And I told her, no, I'm like, no, like it didn't make sense. There was something inside me that just kept saying, say no, say no. And so I said, no, but that worked for me is mm -hmm. on this line. I said, this isn't right. And I asked for the sheet that says what the side effects of the drug are and everything. And I'm reading, it's like eight point font on this little fold out map sheet. And I'm reading through it and I'm looking at the stats and I'm like, if I gave you a 27% chance you make it home safe, would you leave the office? Because in that sheet, it was saying this drug is only effective for 27% of primary progressive multiple sclerosis cases. And it didn't seem right with me. And so it was the start of my journey to go, okay, if I am going to change this, whether I get worse or I end up in a wheelchair, or I get better, what am I going to learn from this experience that I have in my life? And of course, you go through mass amount of fear. And I, at this time, I had two kids. Well, I still have two kids. But at this time, um, Henry and Alex were, um, Henry was 11, and Alex was nine. And in that moment, when I left her office, I remember tears coming down my face, sitting in the car going, okay, I am going to walk my daughter down the aisle. There was a knowing, like there was just, this is what's going to happen. It was almost like a designation. I am going to walk her down the aisle. Now, granted, she was nine. <laughs> I'm like, 
Right. You've got I, a while. I've got hopefully a long while. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I might have 20 years. Mm-hmm. 20 years, I'm going to remain healthy. And mm-hmm. I'm going to figure out what I can do for my own body and start listening to it and start paying attention. And that started me on a journey five years ago where I said, okay, how do I remain symptom-free? Mm-hmm. How do I remain out of that wheelchair? Yeah. And there's, first of all, I love that you had such a long-term vision because I think for some people, and I'm one of these people having a really strong why that's long-term, not yeah. just next month from now, I want to be able to do this, but that requires consistency at a different level. And so you almost put yourself in that position of, okay, I'm going to adopt this lifestyle. Now, this is now who I am. I am someone who does these things. And there's, there's so much benefit to that. So there's lots of different ways that you can holistically manage MS. And you mentioned you wanted to start becoming aware and healing different parts. Where did you even start? Like, I imagine it was overwhelming. It was. So, you know, there are some books that I read right at the beginning, even before my neurologist appointment, there was a book I read. And that led me down the road of food as medicine and start taking a look at this. And there's reports coming out now that you can read in medical journals that talk about it being the Epstein-Barr virus. So I looked at all of that data and said, okay, if it is, what are they asking to do to heal the Epstein-Barr virus that 97% of the world has. So I said, okay. And then when I read through it, I'm like, this is just food. And it's actually the way we should be eating. And so at the time I was eating heavy amounts of gluten, pizza, drinking beer, doing all of the classic things that, you know, I'd done my entire life. So I said, nope, I am going to start drinking celery juice in the morning. I am going to start eating an organic-based diet. I became a part of the Bionutrient Food Association. So these are the individuals that look at soil health and nutrient density in our fruits and vegetables and started to educate myself on what was really happening to me, what toxins were in my body. I started to do a heavy metal detox thinking, okay, yeah, I used to paint with lead paint when I was a kid. So Did I have lead toxicity? Did I have this? And then I started to go to like having conversations with my naturopathic doctor and saying, okay, what about this? What about that? And really becoming very inquisitive of my body. Now, during this time, I never stopped working out. I was like, okay, that is something that is me. That was my identity. That's who I was. So I never stopped. But then I'm like, okay, can I prove my diet with food? And it helped a little bit. How long did you stay consistent with that in order to see benefits or did you add on something else because you didn't feel like it was resulting in what you were hoping you'd see? I added something else. So I've never stopped on the diet. Mm -hmm. So you got workouts, you Mm -hmm. got diet so Mm -hmm. far. What's next? (laughs) I started to take a look at moments when I felt worse. When walking, walking had gone from 800 steps at this point to where I was walking now 4,000 steps in a day. But still, I was like in the grocery store, even though I was walking, like I'd have my kids in the grocery store, but I looked like a drunk guy in the grocery store. Anybody with MS knows that under this feeling that you just, you feel like you're trying to walk straight and you can't. You're just like, you're wavering back and forth. 
And I'm like, man, does everybody in this grocery store think that there's a drunk guy walking around with his two young kids? And so really saying, okay, why am I kind of hit a plateau on my healing journey? And then I started to take a look at when I felt worse, I realized there were moments of stress. So when you look at all these moments is I would have stress, I'd have stress in the work I did. I'd have stress at home. And I started to dissect stress. Then I started to look at, was I reacting to the stress, a stressful event that came in? At this point, now my kids are teenagers, which there's a lot of stress with teenagers. Anybody that has teenagers can see this. But with that stress is, was this happening to me or for me? Was I reacting to it or was I responding to it? Then I started to follow some different spiritual teachers. And I started to walk down a road of self. And I started to take a look at is in a very powerful question I asked myself was, who am I? Who am I? Okay. When I asked myself that question, I could make a laundry list of physical attributes of who I was. I was a business owner. I was an athlete. I was an All-American. I was an Ironman. What I realized is I never looked at who I really was from within. Was I compassionate? Did I value security? Was I love? And so when I really couldn't answer those questions, I'm like, okay, let me explore those. But one thing I did notice is I walked down this road, I found myself responding to a stressful event, offering myself compassion. And it's what I call it's kind of stepping out of the washing machine of healing. Because what will happen is, is, oh, we have a really good diet. I've been working out really well. I've been doing all this stuff. And it's like, but I found that my mental side was the side that I had ignored for over 40 years of my life. And I didn't know who I was. And so I really started to explore it. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like even without MS, but especially with MS, So few people do that work of figuring out who am I, Mm -hmm. do you have any tips for someone who is having a hard time figuring that out? Because as you said, most Mm -hmm. people will think of all these other attributes like physical Mm -hmm. or accomplishments that we've had, that it can be really hard to come up with any ideas of Mm -hmm. who you actually are on a different level. Is there a resource or how did you eventually come up with this list of who you are? It really was an aspect of awareness. The first step out of the washing machine is awareness. Just aware of that I didn't know. To being curious is being like, okay, who do I want to be? And then I would go back into my past. Like when I was really young, I'm like, okay, who was I when I was young? What did I value? What people did I look up to? Did I look at these moments as good or bad? Was there a good or bad? like really starting to explore. It's just being aware of the thought, being aware of how I viewed it Mm -hmm. and being aware that I had forgotten me. And then really taking a look at, I was trying to be everything for everybody else to be accepted, but ultimately I wasn't accepting myself. That's a a good trick of the trade. I was going down a similar path of just trying to figure out who am I about a year or so ago? And I hit a point where I was like, okay, I can think of some things, but I should know more about who I am than just this. Mm -hmm. And so I asked my mom, I went to her, I was like, Hey, 
what brought me joy when I was younger? What did I love doing? And she was actually able to remind me of some things I totally Mm. forgotten about. And so now I purposely try to put those things into my life or those experience to bring back that joy. Well, and that's beautiful. This is why as you take those steps, that's compassion. Mm-hmm. Even if we stumble and we fall or we have an issue, and especially with multiple sclerosis, what happens is, is that negative aspect of the mind kicked in. So then I started a study because I geek out about this stuff. And I started to say, why does the mind do this? Why did I think that about myself? And what we find out is 93% of your thoughts every day are subconscious. You're not aware of them. They just happen. And this is really that fight, flight, freeze response. And it's only really made to keep you alive. And so under that aspect, I said, okay, if this is happening subconsciously, what are my conscious thoughts? And the scary stat you find out is 80% of your conscious thoughts, which are only 7% of your thoughts are negative. Right. Oh my gosh. Wow. What was I telling myself? Like, and what I found was I was very not nice to myself. Mm -hmm. I was nicer to strangers than I was to my own body where I would stumble a little bit and I wouldn't say, Ooh, Oh man. Yeah. You got to watch your step a little bit. You got this. No, I would say you're an idiot. Like, are you just going to be klutzy all the time? Like I would find myself and I was aware And I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm really mean to myself. Like I'm not nice to myself at all. And anytime I was mean to myself, that negative aspect of the mind, what was happening is I was releasing adrenaline into my system, which then the next chemical releases very quickly afterwards, it's just cortisol and cortisol affects your prefrontal cortex or clarity of thought. And so with my clients is, through this awareness, I'll run them through a very quick 60 second exercise. And with this exercise, I can predict with hundred percent predictability, what you will answer. Oh, wow. What is the exercise? You want to try it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm nervous. Anybody listening right now, what you're going to need right now, Gretchen, is you're going to need a piece of paper and a pen. Do you have that? I do. Okay. I'm going to call out a series of numbers Then I'm going to ask you for an item. Then I'm going to call out another series of numbers, ask you for an item, more numbers, then I'll stop. Okay. So do I write down my answers? You write down the numbers and you write down the answers. Okay. Okay. Ready? Eight, nine, 15, 42, 103, 36, 94, 85, 72, 84, 33, 14, 15, 16, 17, 52, 86, 93, 43, 42. Write down a color. 17, 15, 18, 16, 34, 89, 72, 103, 7, 4, 1, 3, 7, 6. Write down a piece of furniture. 16, 15, 42, 86, 93. Stop. Okay. So when I ask you to write down a color, did you write down a color? Did you write anything at all? I wrote down a color. Okay, cool. Did you write blue? No, that was on my mind though. Oh, green? No. Red? Yep. Okay. How did I know that with three guesses? (laughs) And I'll explain this in a minute. So when you wrote down a piece of furniture, Mm -hmm. desk? No. No. Table? Yep. Okay. What happened was, is I put you under a minor amount of stress. I never said to get the numbers right. 
And all I said was to write them down. I didn't even want, you didn't even have to write them all down. Mm -hmm. So what, with that minor amount of stress, I do know that you grew up in America. And with that, we went to school. And so then we are trained at school to pay attention and follow instruction. Mm -hmm. All I did was give the instruction is I'm going to call it numbers, write them down. But in our mind, because we've been trained for this, is we are going to be graded on the numbers. So then that brought the stress. Even minor, it brought up a little bit of stress. What was happening inside your body is you were having adrenaline release, and then you had cortisol release, which affects prefrontal cortex or clarity of thought. Mm -hmm. So when I asked you for a color, you didn't take a minute and go, (laughs) I think I'm going to go fuchsia or chartreuse. (laughs) something obscure. So when did you learn the color red? When is that kindergarten? Yeah. Kindergarten. And I would imagine you had a crayon box with the color red, or you saw red everywhere. Red is in marketing. Red is all over. So it's a common, very quick. You can recall it off the top of your mind. Wow. It's almost unfair how quickly we can get stressed that cortisol especially from things that we don't want to experience. It's this Mm -hmm. external factor. Yeah. What are the steps to prevent that or to reduce that? I'm going to go back to what we talked about beginning is being aware, Mm -hmm. being aware. If I know that I can feel this within my body, I know I'm getting stressed. I can make a different decision. And this is what I love what you do because you're talking about neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. So this is a retraining of that thought that comes from that basal ganglia part of the brain where long-term memory and thought are stored. That's where the color red was. Mm -hmm. So when you needed to respond quickly, you went into that part of your brain. I do know too, that you haven't evolved in 10,000 years. You're still the same human being as 10,000 years ago. So think about it. 10,000 years ago, if you stepped out of your house and you saw a tiger, did you think about the tiger? Did you go, oh my gosh, that's the coolest tiger in the world. I wonder if I could ride that to my friend's house and if I could hunt with that tiger. And then if I did this, I wonder if they're soft. If you thought that for a minute, a nanosecond, you got eaten by the tiger, which means you didn't get to have children, which propagated that spot in your brain to allow that to happen. But instead you fought, froze or ran from the tiger. And those that did that really well lived and they got to have children. And so that perpetuated that. And so this becomes now today, we don't have tigers, but we have a car. Think of the last time you were cut off on the road. You either cussed them out or gave them the finger. So it gives us an opportunity. And when I start, first started to learn this 11 years ago, I wondered if it, neuroplasticity would really work. And so I started to imagine blowing somebody a kiss if they cut me off on the road. I wouldn't even physically have to practice it. I would just have to imagine just say, and, but it would take practice. So let's say I did it 144 times and I kept practicing this, whether I was aware of it or not, but I was practicing it over and over again. But what happened was the next time I was cut off on the road, instead of giving the finger, which that was my MO, I pulled up next to the guy and he looked at me and he was in a big old truck and I blew him a kiss. And the look on his face, because he probably thought I was going to give him the finger, was enough reconfirmation that, oh my gosh, that worked. I retrained an aspect of my mind to go into a different one. So when you ask, how do we change this? That awareness that we have from within 
in that moment, when we are not stressed out, you're like, oh man, I noticed I got really upset when this person did this or this phone call came in. And the tough part about multiple sclerosis is, is that when we are diagnosed, it's an extreme amount of stress. Mm-hmm. We almost enter into, I would put it as an aspect of PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. So mm-hmm. we are going to experience this after the fact. But this is why we get told the diagnosis in the doctor's office and we just do whatever they say. Because mm-hmm. logical thought isn't coming in. And if we grew up thinking that we weren't smart enough, we'll justify it. And we'll be like, we'll get the diagnosis instead of saying, you know what, let me digest this and set another appointment from a week from now. Let me go in, let me do my research and all of that stuff. If it's in that moment, if you're feeling the stress within us, a powerful step you can take is taking a breath. Take one deep breath. If you notice your amygdala firing off and you'll feel it in your hands, your hands will get tingly. You'll feel like an energy surge throughout your body. And if you feel this, think of like nervousness, maybe a turning in your stomach. And if you feel it, take a breath reset the brain, reset the nervous system, taking that breath and just taking a moment to go, okay, let me digest this Mm -hmm. and slow the entire event down. So you're taking a look at multiple stressors in your life. It could be somebody cutting you off on the road. It could be an argument with your spouse. This is why when you get in an argument with your spouse, you're a genius 15 minutes after the argument. You're like, why didn't I say that? Oh, that would have gotten him or something like that. You couldn't like in the moment when the stress happens, just like now, when you ran through the exercise, you couldn't give me fuchsia or chartreuse. You gave me a color, you know. Mm -hmm. And so what'll happen is too, is when we're diagnosed with MS, we'll notice a symptom come in. We'll notice that we're not stable when we're walking, but this is leading to stress. And so we're going to go into our basal ganglia and pull out a word, a phrase, or a moment that we know. And this could be, you're getting worse. This is what the doctor said. So we're almost creating the nocebo effect without us being aware of it. As I studied this further, what we think becomes our reality. So in order to think something new, Mm -hmm. you first have to be aware, Mm -hmm. practice a different response, which might be Mm -hmm. breathing. Mm-hmm. And then how do you choose what to replace it with? This where you can kind of take a step towards positive affirmations. I am healing. I am healed. And staying it in the I am, a lot of people make affirmations. They think they're weird because of the 1980s or 90s show, Stuart Smalley, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. And so this pulls them down that path when really when we think about this, is we can become aware. Once we are aware, then we cannot become unaware. It's kind of like knowing where the snake is in the grass. If I know where it is, I'm not walking over it. But if I don't know it, I'm gonna walk over it each time. So then I give my mind a different thing to replace it with. And so we can replace it with a positive affirmation. So you mentioned one was, I am healing. Mm-hmm. What if you like that, but you don't believe it? Like Ooh. you don't feel like, like you feel like you're lying to yourself. Like you're replacing yes. it with a thought that's ideal, but isn't true for you. Mm-hmm. 
oh, you, I love where you went with this. That is actually where the work is, is what it's called is a sub thought. What I call it is the but thought. When you say the word, I am healing, and they're like, yeah, I am, but it's that pause, that hesitation allows us to be aware of that and explore that sub thought that's behind it. Because like you said, you cannot BS yourself, Gretchen. There's no way because you know every deep, dark, dirty secret. You know everything about you. You, you know you most. But if I'm aware of the subthought, I can explore the subthought. When did I first have it? And ask yourself a powerful question. Is this true? Because your perception is 100% of your reality. Who you think you are, what you do, your strengths, your I am, who you are, is based off of your perception. So then we can ask ourselves that powerful question, okay, I'm aware of that but thought. Man, I remember that when I grew up, my grandmother always said, believe the doctor, they are 100% right. You're not smart enough to do this. Or you can see like it's something from the past was really what the sub thought was. And let's say it was, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough to do this. Why would you think that you're smarter than this person? Mm -hmm. If I'm aware of that, I can go, hmm, is that true? No, I'm really smart. Like I really, I studied what I studied. And whether I studied or not, I have different experiences. And I'm smart enough to go study if that doctor's right. I'm good enough to study if there's something else to do. I'm good enough to study if I engage with exercise the right kind, this -hmm. could help me. Then with that, just being aware allows me to step out of that stress response and explore that sub thought. But like I said, that sub thought is the work, is the step towards our healing. I like that because a lot of people, a lot of what I've heard around affirmations, which I'm a huge fan of affirmations, but what I've heard people say is if you don't believe it, fake it until you do believe it, like fake it till you make it. And it's like, well, this is a totally different, different way to go about it. You say what you want to be your affirmation. And if it doesn't feel true, you work to figure out why, and then you're more likely to feel like it is true. Yep which takes more work. Is that, is that why people don't do this? (laughs) Is that why more people don't participate in this? Is it hard work? Like, why do you think that is? It's deep introspective work. It's Mm -hmm. work of the self. Yeah. So when I wrote my book, Belief to Heal, I started to realize this, that some of that deep work that I was doing, I was avoiding Mm because it hurt. I didn't want to come to the realization. I didn't want to think of it that way. And the subconscious mind does not want you to explore it. It's what I call is the sphere of possibility. Everything you have today is within the circle. Your house, who you are, your career, your feeling, your health, everything you have is within this circle. And let's say you want walking is right outside the circle. So with exploring, they might say, you might say to yourself, you know what, I should start working out. That's expanding your sphere of possibility. You're like, okay, I'm going to start working out. I'm going to call Gretchen. I'm going to sign up for her program and I'm going to start working out. 
Then what will happen is the subconscious mind, because it's the unknown, the unknown equals stress and stress equals symptoms. So anything that we don't know or that is new, we get nervous about and we have stress that comes up and then the subconscious mind comes in and says, you know, you are never good at working out anyhow. There's, you know, working out doesn't work. You know, so all these other people have tried it. You've tried working out before and that didn't happen. You know what? Working out really isn't what you should do. I said those phrases so quick. It's because our subconscious mind is just wanting to keep us in our sphere, our current sphere. It doesn't want the sphere to expand. But knowing that every time we expand the sphere enters into a new possibility, aka walking again. I had an incredible woman that we were having this conversation about this sphere of possibility and she was in a wheelchair. And she kind of sat and thought about it for a minute. And then that evening, I received a video from her standing up out of her wheelchair and walking around the room. Wow. Unassisted and sitting back down. And in that moment, she started to create the possibility that she could. Mm -hmm. Now it popped her into a journey where it's going to be like a roller coaster up and down, like working out, I'm tired, it got worse. So working out, got tired to the last video she sent me after five months of work to of the self. And then she was working on, she was, she was dancing with her husband in the living room and they were shooting video and sent that me all the entire Facebook, a video of her doing this. I have people that started walking again. And one woman's desire, her intention was to walk down the hallway without touching the wall. And she sends a video of her doing it the next day taking this into her life to where now she's walking, she's driving, she's walking through the store, she's doing about everything she wants. She's mowing the lawn again, she's doing, she's regaining these aspects of her life, but she's listening to her body, realizing that if she goes too far, she goes, yeah, I'm, it's, I'm not going to walk very well the next day, but then she has a choice to respond the way that she wants. Instead of saying, oh, I'm getting worse. She now looks at it and goes, oh, I am in training. Mm-hmm. My mind is exploding right now with so many ways in which this could affect our lives. It's literally everything. You can question, is this true? Or think like, what are my goals? What do I want to do? And then from what it sounds like, you give it a try, see mm-hmm. if it works. And if it does, now it's this possibility that you can grow this sphere. Mm-hmm. And at least when you're saying it, what I'm envisioning is if you can anticipate that your mind is going to tell you otherwise, it's going to be mm-hmm. mean to you. You can almost view it as a separate being, like a separate, like a bully and mm-hmm. not and choose yeah. not to listen to it. Right. Exactly. Okay. Actually, at one point I gave mine a name. Oh. When I was going through this journey, I was like, oh, your name is Richard. <laughs> it was really mean. His name was something different. Um, but really going, no, Richard, I love you. Go sit on the curb. And we find that when we befriend that voice, when we love that voice, I'm not saying we agree to it, but when we love it with compassion, we're like, oh, you're trying to keep me safe. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. But I'm headed here. So then we can play into a new recipe. Anything we want to create in our lives begins with thought. First, I have to think it. Then our word, and we speak it outwardly. We write it down, or we tell somebody, or we tell our spouse, or we even say it out loud. I am going to walk. And then we have to take action and stand up. And even if we just stand and think of it, that action is you don't need to walk around the room like my client did. Maybe just standing next to your wheelchair 
is enough mm-hmm. and saying, okay, that was, that was good. I, I hadn't done that in a long time. And what you're doing is you're proving to your subconscious mind that you can, but there comes a challenge. So often in our lives, we're like, I should go work out. And, you know, I'm going to sign up for Gretchen's program. I'm going to do this. We tell our spouse, family, friends, kids, whatever. And then we never do it. So in that moment, we have an opportunity to reverse that recipe. And I would like you to start with action first. Don't think about it. No thought. Just stand up, do it. So if you're wanting to walk and you're in a chair and you haven't stood on your own for a little while or you haven't stood stably, just stand up right now safely. I'd always want you to be safe when you do it, but stand up. Then allow that to become your word. Then say, I stood up today. You go to your spots and show this encouragement. I'm moving, I'm doing something and then have it become your thought. I am healing. So then that comes through. So that recipe is very specific, action, word, thought. And what this is going to step you into is the next equation. Before we can have anything in our life, we first have to be it. Be, do, have. Wow. I, uh, I'm going to listen to the recording of this probably about 10 times, just so I can soak all of this in. It's such good information. And I feel like it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's applicable to everyone. Like if you're someone with MS who is on a disease modifying therapy, you can still do this work. Or if you're not on a disease modifying therapy, it's, it's something that we all are capable of doing. It's free. Like there's no barriers to this other than feeling uncomfortable, like anticipating you're going to feel uncomfortable if you are looking inward and, you know, reliving some situations that maybe made you feel like you weren't enough or like you aren't healing. Right. The biggest challenge will be yourself. Mm -hmm. Any change you want to make will be the self. Wow. So if you had to give tips to like quick tips to people with MS, what would they be? What are the, the main tips that you think of right away? First is be aware of your thoughts. You don't have to do anything with them. There's no action you have to take. Just become aware of them. Become aware of what you say to family around you. Be aware of what you tell yourself. Do you tell yourself I have it? Or do you say I was diagnosed with? So really just being aware, being aware of those moments. That's step one. Then step two, once you are aware, once you're thinking, you're like, okay, then ask yourself that powerful question. Who am I? Sit in meditation, sit quietly in your bed or on the couch or wherever you're at, close your eyes and ask yourself, take a breath in and blow out and ask yourself, who am I? And just keep asking yourself that question. You may ask yourself that question a thousand times without an answer coming in. Who am I? And you just keep replaying this question over and over again in that moment. Then in that next step, what do I desire? What am I choosing? Who do I want to be? Then once we kind of know where we're headed, like I said at the beginning, like I knew I wanted to walk my daughter down the aisle. So in order to do that, who would I need to be? Who would I be 20 years from now, now that I'm walking my daughter down the aisle, picturing myself at her wedding, on the beach, wherever she gets married at, and walking her down that aisle to give her away? Who am I? Am I happy? Do I have joy? And thinking of it that way, going back to that other equation, before we can have it, we need to be it first. 
there's nothing keeping us away from feeling and being healed from within. Wow. There's nothing keeping me from being happy. Mm-hmm. There's nothing keeping me from finding joy, from loving myself. And there's a lot of little steps in between that set this up that really helps solidify and promote this within self. But this journey is a discovery of self. Yeah. I love this so much. And you mentioned you do work with clients. Can you tell us a little bit about how people can work with you? And I know you also have a book and a Facebook group. Where can people find you? So they can find me on Facebook, join the Symptom Free MS Facebook group. And so I will run summits and symposiums throughout the year. I run challenges and master classes. I'm big into education. A way they can find me is my book, Belief to Heal, Mastering the Mindset to Heal. You can get that on Amazon. You can type that in. You'll see that come up there. You can also go to mattrowcoaching.com or Identity of Health, and they can find me there as well. And, they, and the best next step is just have a conversation with me. Book a free appointment. And we'll talk in what we usually identify is a sub thought that you can begin working on. That's so great. And I agree. I feel like this seems like work where you may need guidance with, especially if the bully inside your head is so Mm. strong that you just can't see any truth in Mm. the fact that you're healing or that you can reach your goals. So I'll put all of those links, your group, your book, all of that in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and you don't want to go find it on your own, just click on the links there. Matt, thank you so, so much. I feel like I could talk to you for about like two more hours about this stuff and I'm going to stop myself here. This has been eye-opening for myself and I'm sure a lot of my listeners. So thank you so much for sharing this with us and your time. You're a gift, Gretchen. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.